Hearst Ranch is a proud sponsor of the Heritage Radio Network. Learn more about Hearst Ranch at HearstRanch.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported food radio network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. Join our hosts as they lead you through the world of craft brewing, behind the scenes of the restaurant industry, inside the battle over school food, and beyond. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org. Good evening and welcome to Fumet About It on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm Mary Izette. My name is Chris Kuzmi. And I'm Rachel Jacobs. And we're your co-hosts on this weekly journey through all things fermented. Archived on Stitcher, iTunes, and right here on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Welcome to <laughs> October. It's October 2nd, 2017, and we are really, 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 really excited to be back. We haven't been uh, live in the studio. I wasn't here live in the studio last week because um, we've been really crazy kind of getting this brewery together. Yeah, Chris, you seem to be in a really good mood today. <laughs> I'm tired, man. <laughs> I mean, yes, I'm in a good mood, but... So I Fifth Hammer Brewing Company, if you're if you are a regular listener of the show, you might know that Chris has been working on opening a brewery for the last two and a half years. We uh, have. we have been opening working on, uh, but Chris and his his partner David Sharfstein have been the pri- our primary thrust behind this brewery. Anyway, it's been a long process, but as of Friday night, we are open, uh, and it was. A great weekend. It was a great weekend. Really, I'm just delighted to join the community in Long Island City. A lot of really, really cute dogs came through. Uh, it is also called Dog Island City. We're going to end. <laughs> and which brings me to announcements. Uh, there's a lot of really fun stuff happening coming up if you're in the New York City region. We are be, we are softly open now, kind of testing our waters, but we are going to have a grand launching party uh, this upcoming weekend, uh, the 6th, 7th, and 8th. Uh, but we are not the only ones. Uh, Killsborough Brewing Company are finally uh, opening their doors, um, or finally their doors are open. They're with Craft House uh, in Staten Island, um, and they've been brewing, and they have a great lineup, and they are also celebrating uh, them adding to the New York City brewing community now at 34 active breweries. Is that true, Mary? I don't know. I can't remember the number. I believe it's 34. I believe uh, it's it but right But Killsborough's launch party is the 7th, Is the 7th. Right. On Staten Island, it's easy to get to. Um, just take the ferry, and it's definitely within, I think it's like a one stop away or easy, pretty easy distance from the ferry. That's right. And you could do a twofer. You could go to Long Island City, hang out with us for a second, get on the ferry to the next ferry. The you NYC take the long, ferry. Yeah. Take the NYC ferry uh, to Pier 11 and then run down and switch it over to get to Staten Island. And that'll be really fun. Um, the reason this all came up when I was talking about dogs is because we're really excited. We're going to host a dog <laughs> a dog costume competition at the end of, of October for Long Island City Dogs. We're going to have a costume contest, and I think it's going to be amazing, October 29th. And I'm excited about that. Uh, if you're a home brewer, Queen's uh, Brewer's Challenge, Queen's Challenge, put on by Brewstoria, a homebrew competition, is going to happen on the 28th. Um, and I believe entry registration is up now. Um, if you go to brewstoria.com, you can find out about that. Any other? Uh, yes, I am speaking at the Women's Craft Beer Society at Flagship Brewery in Staten Island next Thursday night at 7 p.m. I'm actually going to lead a cider tasting. So we're going to talk about cider. I'm going to make a couple ciders. Um, so I'll. 
be pouring a couple of my ciders, talk about how easy it is to make cider, and then we'll taste a variety of cider and learn about everything there is to know about cider. Ooh. There's oh. one more event. Wait, I have one more announcement. Okay. Oh, Cider Week. Speaking of cider, oh, God, Cider yeah. Week is October 20, New York City Cider Week, I should specify. I'm afraid of ciders. Oh, I mean spiders. Why can't I go ahead? <laughs> it's October 20th, 20th through 29th of this year. So October 20th through 29th, New York City Cider Week. And if you want to learn more, it is ciderweeknyc.com is the website. Dot com. Yeah, we'll uh, be announcing some more of those events as they come up. Um, I'm sure there's going to be some really interesting ones that we're going to be uh, going to. Maybe we'll see some of you there. Um, and so we also have uh, another event coming up uh, next Monday night uh, is a chocolate and beer pairing with Rock and Threes Brewing. It's hosted at Threes Brewing. Uh, so that's uh, at 6 p.m. and it seems to be going out for a while. So if you want to go to that, you can just check out uh, Threes Brewing's Facebook page uh, there, or just search Eventbrite for Three's Brewing Chocolate, and it's a uh, it's hosted by uh, somebody very, very <laughs> special. Somebody who's uh, maybe our guest tonight, uh, <laughs> maybe Megan Giller. Turn Hello, hey guys. Hi, Megan. Thank you for joining us in the studio <laughs> yeah. here at Roberta. Thanks for having me. So, Megan, you just came out with a book called Bean to Bar Chocolate. America's Craft Chocolate Revolution. I did. Yes. Tell us a little bit about the book. Yeah. So. Uh, so chocolate is having a revolution, kind of like craft beer or specialty coffee, and uh, there really isn't a resource to learn more about that. So this is the first comprehensive resource that, uh, you know, it goes into some background about what chocolate is, like what does 70% mean, how do you make chocolate, but then there are profiles of the best chocolate makers in America. So there's about 14 of those, then there's a list in the back of the top 50 bean bar makers in the country. And there are recipes of what to do with chocolate besides just eat a chocolate bar, which is not a question I ever thought I'd have to ask. But, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, uh, the, so th these types of chocolates really focus on flavor, kind of the way craft beer does. Um, and so when you use them in recipes, you can still taste some of those flavors if you've chosen the recipe carefully. And so that's what they're all designed for. And they're actually not by me. They're by chocolatiers and pastry chefs and all sorts of other people. Um, so because I am not a chef, I wanted to highlight like the good work that they do. So this is a gorgeous book, by yeah, the way. Thank it's you. Absolutely yeah. beautiful. I'm very happy with story publishing has done an amazing job with, uh, yeah. with the design of that book and really everything. Right. Oh, sorry. So uh, you're not a you're not a pastry chef. You're a chocolate judge. I, yes, that's right. I uh, my job is to eat chocolate and tell you about it, um, <laughs> which uh, I don't know how I lucked into that. But um, but yeah. So I judge the International Chocolate Awards, um, which is exactly what it sounds like. Several days of just sitting around eating chocolate, and there is actually a very um, rigorous procedure about how to judge, and you know different. Uh, qualities and characteristics, and there are many different rounds too. So, but yeah, we can talk more about that because there's they've got such crazy things. Like you have to use a palate cleanser, which isn't like that crazy, except the one that they found that works the best is um, lukewarm polenta that's Whoa. that's right, soupy, yeah. um, and it kind of like hmm. I don't know sandpapers your tongue clean or something. I, I really think it would work it's for for beer or wine or really anything else. But that like you're fat, I feel like that has to do with the fat in the it chocolate does too. Yes, yeah, because it really really wipes your mouth clean and I've never you know when I do tastings on my own and at home and stuff I really can't taste more than 
maybe like five to eight without starting to to get that burnout. But when you have the cold soupy polenta, <laughs> you can go for you know dozens of chocolates oh for God, better or worse. Have, we have, have to, to try, try this. It. I know. But like, so it has to be apparently this very expensive Italian brand of polenta, uh, and I forget what that brand is. You can't just get Trader Joe's. No, absolutely not. It has to be this very specific one, and they've like they do they they're judges all over the world, and so there are a lot of stories of the people who run the International Chocolate Awards carrying these huge pots of soupy polenta that they've made at their hotel or whatever, like through random cities in order to get it to the right place and for people to have that option of eating it. That's so interesting. <laughs> yes, it's very bizarre, but it, it does work. <laughs> so when you said some of the best chocolatiers in America or chocolate makers in America, what makes a best chocolate right. maker? So I guess I should qualify that by saying it's my favorite okay. <laughs> <laughs> chocolate makers, people that I feel like are really doing outstanding work. Most of the time they have it more than just being my favorites. They've won awards from the International Chocolate Awards, the Good Food Awards, the Academy of Chocolate, things mm -hmm. like that. And um, they're really doing something to push the industry forward, whether it's, you know, really uh, coming up with really interesting inclusions that they're using or like revolutionizing how they're sourcing or um, just something that they're really that they're doing that is unique to to bean to bar chocolate and kind of tells the story of bean to bar chocolate so uh, so that's how I chose them uh, and they're they're kind of placed throughout the book uh, with all of this kind of background information about chocolate in there too speaking of um the story of bean to bar chocolate. Yeah. What exactly is bean to bar yeah, chocolate? Yeah, I figured I should probably define that at some yeah. point, right? <laughs> yeah. So when we think about chocolate and going into chocolate shops, what we, you know, what you would normally get is uh, something that the chocolate chocolatier has, uh, you know, bought a big chunk of pre-made chocolate made by a big company, bought it, melted it down, and turned it into, like, truffles and chocolate bark and all those delicious things that we love. So that's what we're used to. Um, and there really have been only a handful of companies uh, that have been making the chocolate up until now. And now people, you know, there's a real DIY movement <laughs> across many parts of food. And so it's now come to chocolate where people are like, well, hey, we want to make it from scratch. We want to make it in small batches. We want to start with whole beans and roast and grind and turn it into chocolate ourselves. And so that's kind of the difference also between the chocolatier who uses pre-made chocolate, makes confections, and the chocolate maker who starts with whole cocoa beans. So they're actually going out and sourcing these beans like from Central and South America and working directly with farmers. And then they have all sorts of crazy machinery to turn this into chocolate on their own. But it's also kind of focused on flavor, like I said earlier. So it's not just that they're doing this process themselves. It's also that they're maybe making single origin chocolates where, you know, they're only using beans from Madagascar and focusing on the terroir of what Madagascar beans, I know, yeah. <laughs> terroir seems like a funny word to use in relation to chocolate, but cocoa beans do have terroir and taste different depending on what country they're from. And so that has also been a big part of, of bean to bar. But fundamentally, it means they're starting with whole beans, which is not something we've seen in the past, I don't know, 100 or 200 years here. Yeah, that's true. we talked a little bit. So we have actually had we had Nate Hodge. Mm -hmm. Oh, awesome from Raka. Yeah, on. I love Raka. Actually, and it was Nate. 
Yeah. It was our 200th episode. And you guys, Rachel and Chris were not here. It was me and (laughs) guest host Dave Krako. Uh But anyway, but it was... We regret missing the chocolate. I know. We were very sad. Rock is a great company. Yeah. And And that's who you're doing the tasting with. That's who I'm doing the tasting with at Three's Brewing. Yes, we're going to have five different Rocco chocolates and five different Three's Brewing beers. And you can come and taste all of them for free um buy my book if you'd like or not um <laughs> if you buy it ahead of time you get a, a pint of beer with the purchase for like awesome. just the price of the book so it'll be fun so before really nice. we go to break let's go back to the basics i know we've skipped those so far how did oh, you yes. get into chocolate yeah so i had been uh writing about food for many years i i wrote uh for texas monthly online and some in the front of book and then uh i ran the zagat blog in austin for a long time i'm from texas i just moved here two and a half years ago. Uh, and I just personally had, you know, always loved chocolate and started trying some of these bars and, and saw the amazing flavors and was just really taken aback. Like, wow, you know, chocolate is not just chocolate is not just chocolate. There's all these different nuances that I had no idea about. And then kind of went down this rabbit hole of trying to find some of the information that's in the book, just kind of basic stuff. And couldn't find it, couldn't find that many stories about these amazing makers and was like, well, someone needs to do this. And I was very surprised that no one had already. And so uh, from there, I started writing stories for lots of different places, food and wine and uh, tasting table and that kind of stuff and had my own site called Chocolate Noise, where I, I told the stories of many of and still do tell the stories of many of the chocolate makers. And then that turned into a book. So, awesome. Yeah. And what's the process to become a judge? So we are, I'm familiar with, I'm a national homebrew, or national yeah. BJCB homebrew judge. So I'm familiar, it's always interesting to hear how you become a judge. Yeah, you know, I think that at one point there was um, an application process, but I can't remember exactly what it was. But to be honest, I uh, got to know Maricel Priscilla a little bit, who's a chocolate expert, and she has some really amazing restaurants in New Jersey, too. She's like a James Beard Award, not awarded, one. I messed that up. James Beard award-winning chef and uh, has done all sorts of amazing stuff too. And we just kind of got to know each other a little bit. And she is in charge of the International Chocolate Awards and was gracious enough to invite me one year. And then I've kept on going with it too. Awesome. Yeah. And every, I, get, I assume everything's blind, right? Everything's absolutely blind. They're very careful about that. Yeah. And then there are categories? There are many categories, yeah. So what we judge here is um, the Americas and Asia. Um, And then within that, they have different days. Like they'll do micro-batch bars one day, confections another day, inclusion bars, which just means like fancy, you know, it's a fancy word for stuff in your chocolate, like sea salt and almonds. Um, So for the past two years, I've been trying to do the micro-batch day because that's what I write about, these micro-batch makers. But somehow I've managed to show up for the confection day. And like the <laughs> the first year, I showed up the, the last day and, I, and they were like, okay, confections. And then I was like, okay, I'm going to show up the first day, the next year, because surely that won't be the confection day. And then and that, that was, was too, which like you can't <laughs> complain about eating lots of confections. That's basically just like truffles and bonbons and stuff all day. Right. But it's a lot of sugar. Yeah. So... Yeah. <laughs> Now I'm just picturing. <laughs> well, actually, speaking, of, um, speaking of all the confections, I, while you're spacing out a little bit, um, <laughs> I know I'm just imagining. Chocolate few I'm actually thinking of this very specific. There's like you, you include some recipes yeah. in the bean to bar chocolate book, and I'm actually just thinking of like a very specific one that I marked off. That's a it's coated in sourdough bread. Yeah. yeah. So that's from Fruition Chocolate, which is in upstate New York, and they're one of my favorite chocolate makers. And um, Brian Graham, who runs it, uh, started out as a chocolatier and pastry chef. So he has this kind of different angle 
where he really likes to do fun confections and inclusions and stuff, whereas a lot of other companies only do single origin two ingredient bars. But so this is one example, the olive oil and sourdough truffles. Uh, and yes, they're very delicious. I had them at his store a long time ago and then was like, can you please put that recipe in the book? It's amazing. So yeah. where, where are they only, where are they in upstate? Yeah. So they're know? in Shokan, New York. Shokan. That's where his factory is. And, and there's a storefront that you can walk in and like, they have so many delicious things to taste there. And then they have another store in Woodstock that has other bean to bar chocolate brands too. So it's kind of a cool place to go check it out. And Woodstock's you, not that far from here. No, Woodstock's not that far from here at all. And Shokin's like not that far from Woodstock either. So it's it's very doable. They're actually having a party on October 21st up there that's going to be amazing. Um, it's their anniversary party, and then I'm doing a book signing too. Oh. But they're going to have like coffee and beer and drinks and all sorts of chocolate, and it's going to be a lot of fun. Awesome. Yeah. That sounds like a lot of fun. So how did you choose which recipes to go in the book? And yeah. like, were there any that you included that that you didn't include that you really wanted to? Mm, that's a good question. Um, I guess since I had been writing about food for so long, I, I knew and, and had been obsessed with dessert for so long, I had suddenly, <laughs> like, I got to know all the pastry chefs, basically, in Austin and then New York once I started living here. And so I approached the people that I knew and people who I really admire their work and asked if they would uh, be willing to contribute a recipe. And people were pretty excited to do it. Like Michael Lisconis, who used to be at Le Bernardin and is now at the Institute of Culinary Education, and he wrote the foreword too, but he has a recipe in there um, for they're like a grown-ups peanut butter and jelly it's truffle. Like a truffle thing. Yeah. yeah. But so and it is one of the more complicated recipes in there, but it's one that I really like because it takes so we were talking a little bit about single origin Madagascar, which is like known for being really fruity and like citrusy and raspberry and stuff. So he uses that chocolate and then a peanut butter ganache and then powdered peanut butter on top. And so you get like the peanut butter and jelly without it being like, you know, actually having any peanut butter, or, uh, sorry, having any jelly in there. But um, but yeah, you know, there are some recipes that, that didn't get in there that I really wanted to. I had, I had to limit the number of recipes. And there's a, a pastry chef in Austin named Philip Spear who had some cool stuff that I really wanted to include. But just, you know, the way things work out sometimes, it didn't make it. Well, on that note, I guess we'll take a break and we'll be right back. Hearst Ranch is a proud sponsor of the Heritage Radio Network. The Hearst family has been raising cattle on the rich, sustainable native grasslands of California's Central Coast for over 150 years. Piedra Blanca Rancho in San Simeon is the original Hearst Ranch, founded by George Hearst in 1865. George's son was the famous publisher, William Randolph Hearst. In addition to being known for building the iconic Hearst Castle, William was, like his father before him, an avid rancher. In his words, I would rather spend a month at the ranch than any place in the world. Thanks to one of the largest land conservation easements in California history, a joint effort with the California Rangeland Trust, the American Land Conservancy, and the state of California, the working landscape at Hearst Ranch will be preserved forever. Learn more about Hearst Ranch at hearstranch.com. Welcome back to Ferment About It on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. We're here in the studio with Megan Giller, a chocolate 
judge, food writer, uh, and blogger of Chocolate Noise. Yes, that's right. Chocolate Noise. Chocolate <laughs> Noise. Do you, do you like that? Is, was your favorite song uh, Chocolate Rain? It's a pretty good. I don't know. It's a good one. <laughs> maybe, maybe not the favorite. It's not, it's not a favorite. Could be up there. Okay. <laughs> Rachel, you had a question. Oh yeah. So uh, in the in the in in Bean to Bar, you have a really great anecdote about your attempt to make chocolate at home. Um, can you walk us through that process a little bit? It'll give us a good idea of how it how it is to make chocolate and especially in a small batch yeah. place. So I felt like it was unfair for me to, you know, be constantly tasting and judging and, you know, whether professionally or not, all these chocolates that I was eating. And so, and to be writing about it without ever trying to make it at home. Um, and so a lot of the makers start out making it just at home in their basement or in their kitchen or whatever. And so there, it is possible to do that. Um, and that's part of why Bean to Bar is having a mo- moment now that you can do that now, whereas in the past it was too hard. But so, um, so yeah, so I got some beans um, from this website called Chocolate Alchemy, which is pretty much where every chocolate maker starts out um, learning how to make chocolate. He has, the, the founder, uh, John Nancy, has all sorts of, uh, I don't know, procedures and he's invented different uh, machines to use. And like, you know, so I started with a, a juicer. Because um, <laughs> you're buying for whole fresh beans. Actually, I'm sorry. I, yes, I, I did not start with the or, juicer. That came a little bit further. So what I was buying was uh, dried beans. Okay, they had dry. already been oh, okay. fermented and dried, which okay. has to happen at the farm level because mm-hmm. the pod will immediately start rotting. Okay. If yeah, it's I, not I was going to be farm a, do level. they freeze them? Like, how does that work? Yeah, no, they, so they dry them in the sun usually. And then at that point, they can be shipped wherever. Like, so Raka uses unroasted beans. So the beans that they would get, they wouldn't do anything to them before they started making chocolate at that point but but most people would roast them so that's what I did um and they say that you you know you can do it in your oven at home and uh they say it smells like brownies when they're done and they're like oh it'll be super clear like no question so I'm like running through the house screaming like does it smell like brownies you know because uh, it was not clear to me um, it was like live tweeting chocolate alchemy like help me so no brownie smell I know well you know you've been in your house for a while you don't realize that it's starting to smell something so I was running in and out of the right. house too doing that um, so eventually I just decided, okay, I think they're somewhat done enough. So then, Did um, you roast, wait, how big, how big are the beans? So the beans are small. They look okay. like a coffee bean or an almond or something like that. Okay. Yeah. So they're not that big. I didn't have that many of them either, but, and I had borrowed some equipment. So actually I, I had said I had a juicer, but that's not true. Uh, you can use a juicer to crack the beans, but what I used is something called a Krankenstein, which is very yeah. janky. Uh, and it's basically just like a funnel sort of thing with a handle on it. It's like a meat grinder. Thing, yeah. It's kinda. a meat grinder okay. kind of thing. Right. Yeah. And so so uh, it bounces everywhere as you're trying to use it. So I, I you know, I, <laughs> I cracked the beans. And so when you crack them, you're separating the husk from the nib. So a bean is made up of a bunch of nibs. And if I'm, I mean, you guys have probably seen cocoa nibs at this point because they're mm-hmm. like all over the place now. Um, but you have to figure out how to separate these, those two. So big companies have a big winnower that will separate them. But there's not really anything, especially at a very small scale, to be able to do that. So you put them in a bowl and you uh, use a hair dryer and the husks are really light and they'll blow away and the nibs stay in the bowl, supposedly. Um, so my very kind neighbor who didn't know what she was getting herself into was like, sure, you can use my backyard to do this. And so, we're, you know, it was just like 
a total mess. I'm sure it still smells <laughs> like chocolate over there, actually. <laughs> um, so once you do that, uh, and this is like all obviously on a very small scale, like this is the same process when you get larger, but um, this is how you'd make it at home. So uh, then at that point, you uh, put the beans in what I used is a modified Indian doll grinder. So uh, that's what John Nancy from Chocolate Alchemy figured out that you can use that machine with a few modifications. So it's basically like uh, a granite bowl with two granite wheels that spin around. So I put the nibs in there. And it's used to make doll. It's used to make doll okay. or, or different spices and that kind of, or like to grind it. That's why yeah. they have a like spice yeah. grinder right. kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and the actual machine that you would use for chocolate is called a melanger. But, so this is kind of like a DIY melanger. But uh, pretty much everyone in the industry even uses larger versions of these now. They're called Cocoa Towns. I love that that's what? the official name. It's like, it's the Cocoa Town machine. So yes, cute. I know. It's very cute. Um, and it's basically the same setup as the small one that I had. So... Um, and then, you know, it's grinding. It eventually turns into, it, it seems like liquid, um, because there's uh, a cocoa bean is half fat, basically. And so that will, you know, liquefy as it's heating up. Uh, and we let that go. There's a lot of debate about how long you're supposed to let it go. But so I think we let that go for 48 hours. But, it, you know, what I didn't think about was how loud that was going to be in my little Brooklyn apartment and my dog was just like not having it we had it in like a closet but it was still making a ton of noise and finally I was just like I can't deal with the screeching so we turned it off and then I stupidly like you know you so you're supposed to temper chocolate which is very hard to do but I in between that I, I was I was afraid to do that so I decided to store it for a couple days in ice cube trays and that's where I really went wrong because that rubber smell did not come out. Oh, no. Did from the ice not cube come trays? out from the ice cube trays. Oh, okay, oh I yeah. forgot to add that I had added. I forgot to say I'd added sugar when it was in the spice grinder. Okay. Um, uh, but yeah, so so my tempering attempt did not go very well either. It immediately bloomed, which is like you know when you have old chocolate and it starts to get white on right. top. Mm -hmm. So the the fat is separating from the cocoa solid. So that that's what was happening. <laughs> it was a disaster. And then I, you know, it was just like the worst chocolate I'd ever tasted. Like it was gloopy it didn't melt in your mouth and coat it evenly <laughs> and it tasted like rubber and other bad things and oh yeah uh, and so I obviously I actually did not throw it out I kept it for a long time because I was like I spent so much time on this you know <laughs> but I would never want anyone to eat it and I actually brought it to Raka because they had lent me the Krankenstein and the um the other machine and Nate Hodge was like, yeah, you over-refined the sugar, too. That's what's making it taste gloopy. But he knew all these things I'd done wrong immediately yeah. when I gave it to him. But, you know, I, I am not a DIY type of person. I would rather buy, like, an excellent chocolate bar from someone who knows what they're doing than try to do that myself again. Yeah, <laughs> it's well, a very hard process. So, how, yeah. how long ago was this attempt? This was... Maybe two years ago, maybe a year and a half ago. Oh, wow. Yeah, I guess it's still uh, fresh, still painful. <laughs> have you tried again since? Or no, that's yeah. not going to happen. No, oh, people no. ask me a lot if I want to become a chocolate maker, and that's really just not a direction that I want to go because, you know, there's so many great brands out there that I enjoy eating. I would rather eat their stuff. How do you go about tasting and, and enjoying? Oh, yeah, okay, so I have a bar here. Uh, that I brought. So this is actually not an American chocolate bar, but I really wanted to bring it for you guys. It's by uh, Chocolate Naive, which is from Lithuania. 
and it's a kefir probiotic milk chocolate. Interesting. And so I, That's and totally I bought it. Fun. He has um, a porcini milk, dark milk chocolate that I'm obsessed what? with. Yeah, it's really good. Where do you? And so you can get that at um, the Meadow or Two Beans oh, or online. But uh, and I'm sorry, this one is open because I was like stupidly open this weekend. I couldn't couldn't waste. That's I couldn't <laughs> wait. <laughs> but um, but yeah. Anyway, since uh, since kefir is fermented, I thought I would. Bring I that. did it. Um, I gave. I made my Don't own chocolate this. of the month subscription box for Christmas. Oh nice. Yeah. So I would go to the meadow or yeah. two beans actually. Yeah. Those are two great. Two beans has many several locations in yes New York City, and the meadow is in Soho. Yeah, it? the or West Village. West Village. Yeah. yeah, and they also have a location in Portland. Okay, so that's, yeah. yeah, and they're both great resources. Uh, and if I didn't break off enough, please just keep breaking off more chocolate. So what you want to do? This is going to sound really obvious, but the first thing you want to do is look at it. Um, and so it should be shiny. Um, that's one indication that it's in temper. Um, which is the thing that I wasn't able to do. And what you're basically trying to do when you temper something is make all of the cocoa butter crystals the same size, and it's one particular, there's like four and five crystals. Mm -hmm. So then you want to break it in half, and you should uh, you should hear a snap when it does that. That's another indication that it's in temper. Um, and then you can smell any cut part of it. Um, and, you know, you're really just trying to get a sense of what this chocolate's about before you do that. Like, you know, it you might smell sweetness or it smells like chocolate or bitter or sometimes smoke or burnt tires or something like that. Um, it doesn't always taste like burnt tires when it smells like it, which is interesting about uh, like so drugstore chocolate. Do you ever really want your chocolate to smell like burnt tires? You, you don't, but I once did an entire tasting of like drugstore chocolate, so like Walgreens, CVS, like all the places that have their own brands, and they all smelled like burnt tires <laughs> and rubber and stuff. It was pretty amazing. But it, so anyway, so you'll smell it, um, and then you'll take a bite and chew a couple times, and then let it melt on your tongue. And so you can breathe in and out uh, while you do that. Some people talk about making like kind of a, a guppy face and noise, but I just, because, you know, you're like sucking air in and out, but I really kind of refuse to do that, at least in public. Um, I mean, I know this, this is, is over the radio, but we've got some people in the room here. But well, we have a whole restaurant, like kind of. Yeah, just watching us. Yeah. The They're like, They're eating dessert. Bowl. What is it? Um, the other thing I forgot to say about smelling it, something that I think is really funny, is that sometimes you, you'll see judges um, kind of rub the chocolate to, to melt it mm. so that they can smell it better. And then they'll get little smudges on the bottom of their nose. So they're like walking around with brown smudges all day. And you're like, oh, my God, this has gone too far. Yeah. So what did you guys think about this chocolate? It's excellent. I agree. This is one of my favorite brands because it's just so smooth. Um, it has like a teeny bit of sap, like yeah, but like a pleasant, yeah, like a But I think that's like the kefir, mm -hmm. yeah. But it's so um, what I like about yeah. it is it's so subtle. Um, mm -hmm. It doesn't overwhelm the chocolate where the, that's all you taste. You yeah, know? it's really balanced. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it is fruty in the. It is, like, it is. I feel like dark it's fruity. Cherry. That's fruity. Yeah, like yeah. Towards the end, definitely. Yeah. Middle end. Dark cherry. Are, I feel like there's a note that's in a lot of different chocolates, and mm -hmm. people are surprised when they think about fruitiness in chocolate because it's something that I mean we think about adding, you know, fruit to chocolate or dipping, you know, strawberries in chocolate, but we don't necessarily remember that there are these flavors already inherent in the chocolate itself. But yeah, good. I'm glad you guys like this one. It's uh, it's one of my favorites. We might have to start up the chocolate subscription program again. Yeah, I definitely. Oh, yeah. It was so supposed to be for a year. I know. I I think I. I don't it was this know. year. It's, but it's We're good because like, in. you know, we all get involved in. Uh, well, we are. 
But it's good to make myself go somewhere and pick out chocolate. Yeah. Although it's yeah. over, sometimes it's overwhelming. Though. It oh, is very overwhelming. overwhelming. Yes. The two beans that's on Park Avenue, mm-hmm. like just south of Grand Central. Yes. It's right? Park yes, Avenue? that's yeah. right. Yeah. Um, there was a, I can't remember his name. His name was like Einstein or something. Anyway, he was very helpful. Well, that makes sense that his name was Einstein <laughs> then. It, it is, was something to begin. Anyway. Yeah. You no, know, it's, it's very much like going the to the liquor too. store where you're just like standing, you know, I'll take that pretty one. It's hard to figure out sometimes. And so that I actually have a graphic in the book called How to Read a Chocolate Label because it sounds like something that should be easy. But, you know, there's so many different things to pay attention to, like percentage. Or like, do you want a single origin? Do you want something with stuff in it? Is it direct trade? Is it fair trade? Like, what are the ingredients? And, you know, uh, it ends up getting complicated quickly. All right. So let's go back to weird ingredient or unusual ingredients. Yeah. So you've already you said they do a yeah, porcini dark porcini dark. Oh, I know what I was going to say, too. I want to at some point I'll, we'll circle back because I want to talk about dark milk, which is like those are not mm. exclusive categories. Oh, yes. um, and Comes what we, from brown cows, right? That's right. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes. And what we just tried was dark milk. <laughs> but uh, yeah. So this guy, Chocolate Naive, has a porcini chocolate bar that's my favorite it's just very earthy and it's there aren't chunks of mushroom in it it's either blended in or he infuses the cocoa butter with it so it's still a very smooth bar but then are you look there's a page that has a page i know that's yeah yeah so they're so pretty too thanks there's a page in the book with uh kind of interesting ingredients in craft chocolate and and blue cheese is one ask about that one yeah how's that is that shelf stable? I've had I, a I think it is. From somebody. Yeah, so there's a bar from Lily Bell Farms, which is a maker in Portland that has blue cheese in it. But then blue cheese and chocolate there is, is one of my truffle. favorite. There's a truffle. Somebody in New York City makes a mm-hmm. truffle. I, well, I, there, I bet a lot of people do because it's a really great combination. Mm-hmm. And it's one that I wouldn't have thought of necessarily. But once I tried it, it's quickly become one of my favorites, even though I don't love blue cheese. Um, it transforms both ingredients into something else so that's probably the weirdest one but you know now we're seeing like quinoa and uh, which is like and green tea and all that kind and of rose stuff. petals apparently rose petals pop yeah. rocks you have it yeah, pop well, rocks. Yeah, i've had the pop rocks yes that's yeah. that's one of my there's a recipe in the book uh from coconut chocolate which is in portland and he um is a bean to bar chocolate maker but then he uses really interesting ingredients and pop rocks he uses pop rocks and cocoa nibs in his bar and so we have a recipe for Pop Rocks chocolate bark that I actually made it last week for a festival and people were really into it. It really like got people engaged. And what I love about that recipe is that it's like Pop Rocks, which is so lowbrow, but then it's single origin Madagascar chocolate. He's like, you must use a really bright, fruity chocolate with this because it will bring out the fruit in the Pop Rocks or whatever, you know, it's like, (laughs) so, um, so that one's kind of fun. And Pop Rocks are having a moment in chocolate. It's really funny. Yeah. I think it's because we're all children of like the 90s. And yeah. so everyone, all these pastry chefs and chocolatiers are starting to use it like a lot in their ingredients. Because I've had two like ma- mass uh-huh. market chocolate bars yeah. that are made with, that have Pop yes. Rocks. In it. Or like, yeah. you know, there were so like they, Trader Joe's had one, I think, actually. Yeah, and Chuao Chocolatier, which you oh, can yes. get at a lot of places, mm-hmm. has one yeah, too. Sounds, yeah. I don't think they actually call it Pop Rocks. They call they it something fire, else. Well, I had one, I think it was called Fireworks. Yeah. 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 It's called the Fireworks Bar. You're right. Yeah. So that's funny. Yeah. Lots of weird ingredients. So we're we're being harassed. Um, By King's County Brewers Collectors. You might remember them from episode. They're almost all here. Holy cow. (laughs) I'm I'm glad you know them. They were like pressing their faces against the glass. (laughs) We we're like in a fishbowl in the studio. Um, the one of the main the interior dining room of Roberta's Pizza where our studio is in the back is is what we look out on and 
anyway. We're by. So people do occasionally do interesting things on the other side of the globe. <laughs> Usually kids, though. <laughs> or brewers, you know, same or thing. Or brewers, yeah. <laughs> uh, so uh, Mary and I used to host some chocolate uh, and beer pairings, and uh, that... that uh, yeah. Blue cheese and dark chocolate mm-hmm. and, and yeah. like an imperial stout or an imperial mm-hmm. porter or a barley wine. Yeah. Something with really, really viscous or uh, it's totally. just beautifully. That would be beautiful. great. Um, yeah. How do you approach your beer pairings? So our chocolate, well, chocolate, chocolate and beverage chocolate pairings. Chocolate and beverage pairings. Yeah. yeah. So I have a whole section in uh, the book about pairings with both food and drinks because I think people are used to hearing about chocolate and wine. And so <laughs> I, I have... A confession, which is that I'm not a huge drinker, but uh, from what I understand, uh, chocolate and red wine just really do not go to, to right. go well together. It's just it, like too many tannins all at the same time, and it just clashes. So I wanted to focus on other things. So I have beer, coffee, tea, cheese, bread. I feel like you I'm have forgetting liquor one. also. Liquor, yeah. yes, that's mm-hmm. the one I was forgetting. Pair stuff uh, with mezcal. Yeah, I know. Yeah, so there's. So there's a lot of ways to approach it, but I think it's probably a lot like the, you know, the ways you approach pairings too. like, do you pair like with like, or do you pair opposites? Mm -hmm. And um, what I tried to do in the book is come up with kind of generalizations, like this type of chocolate goes well with this type of beer so that it wasn't specific bars and specific beers, because that just is hard for people to actually do. Um, so it's kind of these broad strokes things, but, um, but yeah, we've had a lot of fun pairing chocolate and beer. I just did an event in Austin a couple of weeks ago at hops and grain brewing, if you know mm-hmm. those guys. And we paired, um, a sing- I keep talking about Madagascar today, but it's a very distinctive <laughs> one. We paired a single origin Madagascar by Dick Taylor, which is this great maker in California with their, a pale mosaic, which is an American style IPA. And that was a really great one. So that was a like with like pairing where it's just two like really bright things going, you know, bright, slightly acidic right. things going together. So I don't know if that answered your question. Oh, it's close. Just everybody's got you know, different, different favorites. Some yeah. people do like the like with like, some right. like the contrast. And we, we generally, I think when we were doing it, it's so fun with a trilogy instead of a pairing. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, pairing is, is great, but what you, if you have that third element, uh, what order you do them in and just a dance, it's a different dance, um, but one that's yeah. pretty awesome. Yeah, totally. I think my favorite from the book was doing the chocolate, uh, cheese, and bread all at the mm-hmm. same time. Yeah. So I think we did, oh, it was like baguette, manchego, and then I am not sure what single origin chocolate. I can't remember, but it's on Madagascar. 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 (laughs) Is it really? Oh my God. (laughs) So the reason I keep talking about that one is because it kind of started the craft chocolate revolution uh, in that it was so surprising. And so a lot of people, when they talk about getting into craft chocolate, it'll be, they'll say it was because they tried something like that first and were surprised. But so a long time ago, or, you know, in the 90s, which I guess was a long time ago now, Scharfenberg started making I know isn't that sad yeah, so, old. so old yeah um, Scharfenberger uh, started making chocolate with Madagascar beans and they were the first to use it in the US and so then like a lot of different people were very intrigued and it kind of started this whole movement where people were questioning the flavors in chocolate so that's why that's that's always like the perfect example although apparently it can be overused when you mention it like 10 times in 30 minutes well it's kind of so. like mosaic and galaxy hops and beer mm-hmm. nowadays I don't know or you know like mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, yeah, and everyone, all the makers have a single origin Madagascar because it's so distinctive. But, you know, and, and what's interesting is it's all the same beans, too. Right. Like, it's literally from the same farm huh. in Madagascar, too. 
So, so it's processed. That it, oh yeah, you it. were talking a little bit about uh, gene uh, bean genetics in the book oh, about yeah. how like a farm or like a, a single cocoa pod can have various genetic beans that all taste different. Yes. So when we say like, you know, a bar, so people love to talk about Criollo cacao. It's like a type of, it's a genetic strain that's supposed to be the best kind. Um, And that is true. But like, even, you know, there's no such thing as a Criollo, or there's a Criollo pod, but even within that, each bean will have its own genetics. So it's kind of a mishmash Mm. and like an approximation. And people are actually mapping out the genetics of different um, beans now and, and, and pods and, and taking a look at what's there. And so it's always kind of like, okay, it's 95% Criollo. That would be almost impossible to find. And like 2% Forestero and, you know, and they're 3% Nacional trying to figure that out. So I can get into like the nerdiness of that. The but chocolate it, genome project. I know. Yeah. Yeah. Super cool. Totally. They're still figuring out a lot of that stuff. So like, um, I think that it will change quite a lot in the next couple of years. They're, they're still doing a lot of research in that area. That's super. And it's still genetics times environment, so. Right, exactly, yeah. So, yeah, what's interesting, like, about going back to Madagascar for a second, are just, actually, there are several different beans. We'll we'll use a different one for this example. Uh, So there's a farm called uh, Camino Verde in Ecuador, um, which I bring up because they do really interesting things with fermentation. Um, So... The, the beans are always fermented in their pulp. And I don't know if you guys know. Because like, they what come a, in like you, it's a large yeah, pod. Yeah, the pods look like footballs and they're like really brightly colored. And then inside there are about 50 to 100 beans. But they're surrounded in this white fruit called pulp, but it tastes like lychee or something like that. And so they're fermented in that. But um, at this farm, Camino Verde, they will actually, you know, put very specific other microorganisms in to get oh. it to ferment the way that he wants it to. Uh, His name's Vincente Norero. He's like amazing, makes amazing cacao. But so all these different makers now have these Camino Verde bars and you can taste something, some sort of through line with all of them. So like if we went to a chocolate, especially chocolate shop, like Uh the Meadow or two beans here in New York City or wherever yeah. you are, your specialty chocolate shop, you could ask for Camino Verde bars. Yeah. Well, you, or well, you'd people that say, use Camino yeah, Verde. that's right. And hopefully they would know. And in the back of my book, I actually have a list of like the common farms that American makers are using and Camino Verde is listed there and like which makers have those bars. Because it's really fun it's really fun to try them on their own because they're really delicious, but then also to try them next to each yeah. other because you, you can really see the maker style like how they roasted something different and how you know or how they maybe they conched which is like uh aerating the chocolate for like you know 72 hours versus someone who doesn't do it at all or you know so it's it's kind of cool to to dial down like that camino verde chocolates yeah it's going on my want to do list before the my bucket list before the end of 2007 there you go oh i like it (laughs) we just we actually i just talking about bucket list because I don't know. We have one kind of now. Or we keep yeah. going along. We were in St. Augustine, Florida a week ago, and we did a zipline obstacle course over alligators and crocodiles. Oh, my God. And we were talking wow. about what we're going to do next, and we chocolate. want to snorkel with sharks, but <laughs> yeah. I think Camino Verde chocolate tasting is, is that up That seems really I, doable. I, I mean, it's yes. a whole different experience, but, like, it sounds just as much fun. Do you need also, to add some sort of, like, extreme, like, something to that? Well, it's very safe, though. Hotels. We were, like, connected to a lion at all times. And the alligators and crocodiles... They just, they're like totally chill. Yeah, I, and yeah. They weren't hungry alligators. <laughs> no, they're super well fed. And yes. we got to go over all the baby ponds, which are not open to the public. Anyway, they're so cute. 
cute. That's awesome. Baby anyway. alligators. Yeah. So cute. So cute. I don't know why <laughs> so that cute. made me think of it, but I just have to share, like, I think we should all, you know, we should do the things, like, because I had read about this place, and we had, I maybe had a couple of gin and tonics at the wedding, and I was like, Chris, we got to go obstacle, you know, do this obstacle course over alligators and crocodiles. And the next day, I was like, I don't think we should do this. And Chris is like, what? You talked me into it. We're doing it. <laughs> anyway, so live your dream, people. Camino That's Verde. Right. Yes. That's right. Chocolate Verde. bars. And a pro- yes, a very uh, doable Where in dream. Ecuador are they? Oh, that is a you good know? question that I don't know. I need to go visit them soon. So my family's from, I'm half Ecuadorian. Oh, okay. So my family's from Valle de Caracas. So uh, it's on the coast of Manabí. I know they talk about Balao, Ecuador is mm-hmm. another name for that bar. Is that the name of the city or this is me being very ignorant about Ecuador? Uh, I am not as familiar with Ecuador outside yeah. of, you know, uh, my family's area. Yeah. Um, yeah, I know. You know I, I know the coastal town of Canoa and... And uh, I know I fly into Guayaquil and I get over there, but mm-hmm. I've been, it's been since I got so into flavor stuff. Yeah. I haven't been back in six years, but uh, I've, I've been wanting to go to chocolate farms and, yeah. and explore different culinary aspects of, yeah, the, of the country. Ecuador is very well known for yeah. its chocolate. Yeah. And there's even like a, a name for Ecuadorian chocolate in terms of genetics, um, Nacional Arriba. Yeah. Um, oh. So uh, like Arriba, like coffee has their Arriba too. Mm. But um but yeah, so, and it's it's known, like, the best Ecuadorian cacao is very floral, but the Camino Verde that I've been talking about, there's some floral notes, I guess, but it's mainly, like, very fudgy and chocolatey. Mm-hmm. So, um, but yeah, uh, Ecuador is, I think they're very proud of their cacao there, too, as they should be, so. As they should be. <laughs> yes. I'm excited. So, I am. so this Monday... Yes. So a week from tonight, you will be at Three's Brewing with Rocket Chocolate. What time yes. does that start? It starts at 6. I think we're going to do a guided tasting at 6.30, and then it goes till 9. Awesome. Yeah. And do you do regular events? I mean, I guess you're, you're out yeah. doing your book, so people can find out more information on your blog. Yes, you can find out uh, about all of my events at chocolatenoise.com and on my Facebook page, too. So Facebook, you know, dot com slash chocolatenoise. Um, and I do do usual, like regular events. I'm doing more than usual yes, right now because imagine. of the yeah, book. Yeah. But I host some something called the underground chocolate salon usually once a month uh, where is that and what yeah is it's that? in lots of different places uh <laughs> usually chocolate stores after they're closed oh and goodness. it's free usually free and open to the public you just have to rsvp and uh i bring all the chocolate and we do kind of a guided tasting and have a discussion about it and some people are super knowledgeable about chocolate other people just are like i like eating chocolate so <laughs> so uh yeah and it was just kind of designed to help create a you know a community in new york there's a lot of chocolate stuff going on on the west coast and i was feeling a little left out here in new york and wanted to to get to know all the people that i to talked to that's yeah. awesome yeah. yeah oh the next one is at ronnie sue's yes that's right oh, it's on, we love Ron- yeah. yeah it's on october 12th at ronnie sue's yeah awesome. and we're going to be actually trying um a bean to bar chocolate company in ecuador Yay. i think wait is that right I'm pretty sure. So she has her own uh, bean to bar company, or she owns a part stake in it. I think I might be wrong. I think it might be in Belize. This is terrible that I don't know. Listen, you're doing a lot of stuff right now. It's it's okay. You cannot remember everything. (laughs) So we're going to try that chocolate, and then we're going to try confections that she's made with that chocolate. So it's kind of a cool, like, from bean to bar to bonbon sort of thing. That's very cool. We, I did, actually, Heritage Radio Network, we did, like, a yeah, bonbon, bonbon making. Oh, cool. Yeah, class yeah. At, uh, at Ronnie's. Nice. Ronnie's. That's really fun. Sweet. Yeah. Well, thank you so much yeah. for being on thank the you. show. Thank you for yes. having me. Awesome. Yeah. I'm inspired, and, and I'm hungry for chocolate. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to my world. Yes. <laughs> <laughs>
We'll be talking after the show. Sounds good. About Fist Hammer collaboration. Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. Without That'd be doubt. fun. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Thank you guys for listening. Um, please be sure to check out Megan's book. It's called Bean, Bean to Bar, Bar Chocolate. Chocolate. America's Craft Chocolate Revolution. You can get it wherever books are sold. Or you can buy it at Threes next Monday night. And Chocolate Noise Dot is com. your blog. Yes, Chocolate Noise is my awesome. blog. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks again. Yeah, thank you. Forget about it. For listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.